morning. I'm going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to roll. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to gather together again on another Sunday and to be reminded of, of the beauty of the church and be reminded that we need one another, that we need the encouragement, we need the fellowship, we need to be taught, we need to have our, our thinking exposed and changed by the Holy Spirit and by the power of the Word of God. And so as we embark on another day together, I pray that it would be profitable and that we would be active in our worship, active in our listening, active in, in our participation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, questions from prior weeks. Any questions to get started with this morning? Nothing? Okay, let's roll. All right, if you didn't get notes, they're out there in the hallway. We're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 11 this morning. And we really want to focus in on, on what is shaping what is shaping our hearts first, and then what is shaping our families, okay? Um, think about it this way. You as a parent, or a parent-to-be, you as a parent, you have this responsibility to shape and, and, and be a shaping influence in the lives of your child or your children. You have this tremendous responsibility. And if you are not being shaped by something profitable, then that is going to influence how your family is shaped. And the premise that I'm going to make is every single one of us is having our heart shaped right now. Our hearts are being influenced every day by something or some things. And so, how many of you have had this experience? You have a, usually it's, it, it, it can be daughters too, but a lot of times it's sons. You're driving down the road and your eight-year-old son is rebuking you because you didn't use the turn signal or you're following too quickly. How many of you have had that experience? Where did they learn so much about driving? Where did they learn it? What, Brad? They, they've just watched you drive, right? They have watched you drive, okay? You know, where did, where did, your, where did your, your child learn that, that, you know, that whenever you, I mean, how many of you women have cooking hacks that you use in the kitchen? How many of you, like, like if you have a, boi, about a pot of boiling water, do you know how to keep it from boiling over? How do you do it, Carla? Put a wooden spoon across it, right? So, so how would your, like if, your, if one of your children was at another person's house and their pot is boiling over and they would just say to the, to the person who's cooking, hey, if you just put a wooden spoon on there, where'd they learn that? Just watching. How many of you have had this humbling experience of correcting your child for stuff that you do? Repeatedly. For attitudes, for, for like, you, know, you ever had this experience getting on your kid for a bad attitude and then walking away? I hate stupid kids. <sighs> Where'd they learn the attitude? Part of it's just naturally in their hearts, right? But part of it, they're just modeling what they see. And so if you're not being shaped yourself by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit... Guess what? 
Your kids aren't going to want to be shaped by that. And two, they've, they've already got other forces shaping them. And if you're not shaping them and helping them in the right way to be, to be thinking correctly, you, they got two strikes against them. Deuteronomy chapter 11. So we've already been in Deuteronomy before, but let's remind ourselves why, why Deuteronomy? Why is this book even in the Bible? Because a lot of it is a repeat, right? A lot of Deuteronomy is a repeat, right? Why would God like, take the time to put a second book that pretty much mirrors a lot of the book of Exodus in the Bible? Because it's important. Why else? We're slow learners. Okay. Those are all good points, but these are, these are things that God wants emphasized, and he wants it further reiterated with his people. Now, think about it this way. Who, who is the human author of Deuteronomy? Who? And he's getting to the end of his life, right? He's getting to the end of his life, and, and he has been responsible for, for leading a nation of people out of captivity, getting them through the wilderness, which ended up being a much longer trip than they ever planned on, right? And for, for 40 years, they've been wandering in the wilderness. They're getting towards the end of that. He knows that his time is short, and so he is leaving, if you will, final words for his people, right? He's leaving final words under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is God directing him. But let's understand that Moses is compelled to leave really important truth behind. We've already looked at Deuteronomy 6, which talks about, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and teach your children this principle when. When does God say to do that in Deuteronomy? Throughout the course of a day, right? He's already emphasized that, and now he's going to come back to that idea a second time in the second book that he writes about the law. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 13, he says this, if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. He, he brings up this idea again. So, so if, he, if he brings it up again, what are we to understand from that? This is a really big idea, right? This is a big idea in God's mind. This is a big idea in Moses' mind. If, if, if they remember nothing else that he shares with them, what is it he wants them to remember? Chiefly, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Okay, look up here, parents. Is algebra important? Kind of. Knowing history a little important. Life skills like how to take a shower and when to do it, is that important? Is that important? Like, like um, is it important to know how to like, like take care of yourself, make, make a basic meal, like so one day that your, your 25-year-old son can go out on his own and do it? Is that all important stuff? Is there anything more important than your children know that they love God with all their heart? Is there anything more important? Okay, then what are you doing to model that for your kids? What do your kids see you love? Like, I led you right into that trap, didn't I? 
But, but ask yourself, what do your kids see you loving actively every day? More often, our kids see us not loving things, right? Come on, let's be honest. Parents, we get grumpy, right? Man, if I have to work one more year for this crooked, dirty, terrible boss and the owner of this company that is such a terrible man, what do they see you loving? Who are you loving? Yourself. Is it, is it true that our children need to love God more than anything or anyone else? Then, then who is going to teach them that? And who's going to model? Who's going to show them what that looks like? Okay? Keep going. Notice there's promise in doing this. For the Israelites, the promise was this, verse 14, he'll give rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. He'll give grass in your fields and your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield nor fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and you shall bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in the house, when you're walking in the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. How is how important is loving the Lord your God with all your heart to Moses? What does he tell them visibly to do with that truth? People, wake up. <laughs> what is he telling us to do with it? Where are you supposed to put this? Everywhere. He's like, put it on your body. Like, like, Put it in a little box. This is what this is what the Pharisees and the you know the Orthodox Jews they they put a little copy of God's word and they wear it on this little strap between their eyes. Okay, not God wasn't saying literally to do this, but what was He saying? You need to put My word everywhere. It's hard to do if you and I aren't in the Word. To put the word everywhere. Now, think about this. Is God, is God saying that your children need intense Bible study every day? Is that what he's saying here? What's he saying? They need to see the Word of God in action. They need to see you connecting your life to the truths of God's Word. They need to see actively that the Word of God means something to you so it'll mean something to them. God isn't saying, line your shelves with commentaries. You know what he's saying? Live out the truth of my Word. God isn't saying, play sermons of famous preachers in your house all the time. No, what he's saying is, connect the dots for your kids, and you live out the truth of God's word for them, so that they can catch it. So, 
God wants this as a visible reminder. And I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, I wonder how this fits. And I'm not sure I have it completely, but I want you to go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter, as he's writing to, to descendants of these people who were in the wilderness many, many generations on, he's writing to Jewish people. He, he, in, he says this at the beginning of his second letter, okay? Look at verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Stop there. What is he saying that God does for his children? Through his power. What is he doing? He says he's granting. What does it mean to grant? He's sharing. He's, he's giving out, right? He's giving out what? All things. Is that a pretty big basket of things? All things that pertain to what? Life and godliness. Okay? Where does God give us this giant basket of all things that's pertain to life and godliness? Where does he give it to us? Well, he, he even furthers it out through knowledge of him. Do you see it there in the second part of that verse? Through knowledge of him. Through knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. What is God's word intended to do for us? just a big giant rule book, right? It's a bunch full of do's and don'ts. No. What is the point of God's Word? It's to reveal God Himself to us, right? God has chosen to reveal Himself very specifically through His Word, okay? Yes, the heavens declare the glory of God in a general way, but specifically, how does God reveal Himself to us? In His Word, Right? Does he do a good job of it, people? Does he do it completely here in his word? As completely as we'll ever understand on this earth, right? Okay, and so he has chosen to reveal himself to us in his word, and, and, he, and Peter is making the connection here that it's everything that we need for life and for godliness. How many of you believe that to be true? Everything you need for life and godliness is found in the Word. If we really believe that, will that not come through to the people that we are called to shepherd? Or if we just say we believe it, then that may not spill out, will it? Think about this. The more that I take in the Word of God, the more that chances are it's going to come out, right? The less I take in the Word of God, the less my mind has to work with and the less that's going to come out that's really focused on and saturated on the Word of God. Everybody's looking for a new Bible study. Everybody's looking for a new devotional. Everybody's looking for, I need something to get me jump-started. Can I make this suggestion to you? Just try simply taking a verse of Scripture and meditating on a verse of Scripture a day. 
I mean, really meditating on a verse of Scripture. And let that sink in. And if you keep doing that one day to the next day to the next day, at the end of a year, you've got 365 verses that you have meditated on. And if you have truly meditated on it and thought over it every day, you've got 365 verses that you have a pretty good idea of what's going on with those verses. I have a fear that because we're all really good, solid Christians, every one of us in this room, right? Right? That we think that we're all supposed to be these major Bible scholars. No, we're supposed to be meditators on the Word of God. And the more that you and I meditate on the Word of God, God's Holy Spirit brings about change in our hearts. What keeps us from meditating? What kind of distractions? Social media, it's a good bully, right? It's a a good whipping boy. Yeah. What else keeps us? How about yourself? Do you keep yourself from meditating on the Word of God because you're lazy? Do you? Or am I the only lazy person in the room? What else keeps you from meditating on the Word of God? Well, there's this thing called life, right? There's jobs, there's deadlines, there's all this stuff. And we create, we create a lot of our distractions, We create a lot of our distractions. Go back to, De- to Deuteronomy chapter 11, and I want to show you what God called the biggest distraction for his people. What's the thing that got Israel in trouble more often than not? Like, what got them invaded by foreign countries? What is it? What is it that got them in trouble with God that God was always having to bring judgment for? What's, put it under one big broad heading. Idolatry. Do you think God knew that when he encouraged them to love God with all their heart? Did he know what their propensity was going to be? Yeah, he did, because even Moses warns them about it. I read it. Look, look with me at verse 16. Take care, or pay attention, or watch out, lest, and he's not talking to a nation, he's talking to individuals, lest what happen? Okay, stop there for a second. Hearts are designed to put confidence, they're designed to believe, they're designed to trust things, right? They're designed to to look for ideas that they can latch on to and believe. That's what hearts are designed to do, along with a few other things, right? That's what minds are designed to do. And, And let's understand something. If it's not coming from the mouth of God, there's a good chance that it's being said or it's being written or it's being broadcast to you so that you will believe a lie. Think about that. Think about that. What is the only source that you can truly trust for truth, and it's not Fox News? (laughs) What is the only source that you can trust for truth? Hello? What is it? Then why don't we trust it more? What's that? 
we're lazy, we want to try our way first, we, want to, we, want, we think we can handle some of this stuff. There's only one source of truth. Do you agree with that? Is that true for parenting? Is that true for dealing with the myriad of problems that, and, and temptations that are out there for our kids today? Well, you know, God, God wrote this so long ago, and I think it needs an update. Like, we know such more, so much more today about science and things. We know such, so much more about the brain. We know so, so much more about all these things. And so maybe God needs to write an update because now we know more. Or did God know all that when he wrote it, and, and we're just trying to catch up and we never will catch up with God? What is it, church? We'll never catch up. So the big problem that God's pointing out here is that we're going to believe a lie, and what does that lead to when we believe a lie at the end of the verse? We're going to, we're going to be guilty of idolatry. What are some of the things that parents can be tempted to worship other than God? None of the parents in this room, of course, but what are, some of, what are some of the things that we as parents can get tempted to worship more than we worship our God? What's that? A long time. My comfort. My comfort, right? My comfort is more important than, than, than the Almighty God. What else, can we, what else can we worship? Our jobs. What else can we worship? Our kids. Absolutely. What else can we worship? This is the one that I see that's so sinister. Is the desire to have the most perfect family, God-honoring thing, can that become an idol that replaces God? It can. What else? What's that? Pleasing people. You guys are describing my heart. You're doing a good job. Keep going. Possessions. What else? What about approval? I need, I, need, I need people to see that I offer something of value in this life. I, I need to be approved in all that I do. Okay? How do you guard your heart from, from worshiping idols then? How does anybody guard their heart from worshiping idols? Because let's understand something. The world, the flesh, and the devil are out there, and they are relentless, and they are actively at work trying to rob our worship from the one true God to worship anything but him, and when they succeed in doing that, they've won, haven't they? So how do we keep ourselves from falling into the trap? Hmm? Two Bible verses and call me in the morning, right? Exactly. Be in the Word! You have to be saturated with the word. And I'm not, like I said, sometimes being saturated is just sitting down before the Lord and spending, you know, 20 minutes just thinking about Deuteronomy 12, 13. But there's this latest Bible study. This has worked with other groups before. This is, 
There is no substitute for you sitting down alone with God with an open Bible and an open mind and a, and a heart that's depending on the Holy Spirit to teach you his word. There's no substitute for that. Not one substitute for that. But you don't know. There's this really good book by my favorite author. Okay, great. Read the book, but spend more time meditating on the word of God. So, is it important, parent, that you're saturated by the Word of God? If you're saturated with the Word of God, will and you have the Holy Spirit living in you? Let's, okay, let's just talk about the conditions that, that God, God operates in. You have the Holy Spirit as, as the child of God dwelling in you. You're taking in the Word of God. What can you expect is going to be happening with your heart and your life then? What kind of change? Sanctification, is that uncomfortable? Will it affect not only you, but will it affect your spouse? Will it affect your children? It better. It better. And, and let's understand something. Will couples as parents always be at the same level of sanctification? And will, one always, will they always be advancing steadily in the right direction as couples? Wish it worked that way, right? Doesn't work that way, does it? So, so not only that, you're fighting that wretched spouse of yours. I'm just teaching. I'm just teasing about that. But let's understand, you're fighting, the, you're fighting your own self to be proud and think, well, I'm doing better than she is. And as soon as you do that, you've like lagged way behind her, haven't you? It's so easy, and what I'm trying to point out is to get your mind off of what the ultimate, I am called to love God with my whole heart, soul, and mind, right? So I put some things here at the bottom of the sheet. Think about your last five conversations with your spouse. Were they full of redemptive words or were they full of selfish words? Were they full of, full of, of, were they full of kindness or were they full of, of, hey, take care of me? Look at the bottom of the sheet. Should we talk about suffering, failure, and crises in front of our children? Depending on their age level, should we do it at different levels, you know? Yeah. But as your children get older, should you be open and honest about things that are going on in your life, your failures, the crises that you're facing, suffering that's going on, and not the kind of like, oh, woe is me, life is so hard. But should we be open and honest and talk about stuff? Yeah, we should be. But if it's only so that your kids will, will start to act better or get off your back or start pulling their fair share or doing whatever, no. If you're not talking about failures and crises and you're not talking about, you know, suffering with, with an idea of like, yes, this world is full of that because God told us there would be problems in this life because we live in a sin-cursed world and because we ourselves are sinners. Yes, that's a part of life, but we can always depend on our Heavenly Father. If you're not talking about it in that way, you're better off keeping your mouth shut, right?
this is something I have noticed about my own self. I've noticed it. I've done a lot of counseling in the last 25 years. This is what I know, and this is what I've observed. If you tend to be a proud person, guess what your children will tend to be? If you tend to be a worrisome person, guess what your children will be? <laughs> if, you tend, if you tend to be a, a, a work-oriented, you know, love the job above all else person, what will your children tend to be? They'll either be that to the fullest and take it further than you, or they will reject it completely. Why? Why? They want your approval, and this is what they see their parents doing. How many of you want your children to love Jesus above all? How many of you want that to be true? Then you better love him and love his word. And it better be evident in the way that you talk in front of them. Oh, I wish I could go back and redo some stuff. Turn the page. What is the typical kid's birthday party all about? What's the kid's typical birthday party all about? We're celebrating who? Okay, can I just be honest with you? We did it. We did it with our grandchildren. You take all kinds of pictures. Does the kid that's one year old ever remember anything about that huge bash you threw? No. That's more for like moments that you can post on social media. Look how wonderful we are as parents, right? But what is the kid's typical birthday party all about? And who's the center of it? The kid. We've all done it, right? I wish I could go back and redo birthday parties and just not totally disrupt that whole thing, but I could go back and just do this. You know, I'm so thankful that God gave you to us. And I'm so grateful that, that he put you in this family with, with, with us. Those are tremendous opportunities that I'll never get back. Those of you who have kids still at home, don't make it just all about them. Make it about a faithful God who, in his wisdom, placed them in this family. Did he not? Did he not? Yeah, he did. So let's flip the script. What are the other voices that are speaking into our kids' minds today? What are they? Okay, let me stop for a second. Can you stop other voices from speaking into your kids' minds? You can't stop it, can you? So what are the other voices? Can you, can you try to protect them a little bit from it? Yeah. So what are the other voices? I heard one, teachers. Yes. What else? Friends. Even friends from families in the church that have common values, are their little voices speaking to other little voices and ears and other little heads? Yes, they are. Okay. What else? Who else is speaking into your kid's mind? 
social media. How about other family members? Are they speaking into your kids' ears? Who else is speaking into their ears? Themselves, yes. That's a good one. Hollywood. Wretched Hollywood. Who else? What they read. There's a myriad of voices speaking at our children, are there not? They're the same voices that are speaking at you, okay? I want to talk about several categories, okay? So I've got four different questions here. How do, how do we as parents handle cell phones, social media, and internet? Who's got it figured out? Who's got it figured out? Okay, can I tell you this? If you say this, if you think you've got it figured out by saying they will never have a smartphone, you're not thinking clearly here. Why do I say that? Why do I say that? How many of you need a phone to actually, like, like to survive and do your job and do stuff? You do, don't you? We've, we've come to this place, I hate it, but we've come to this place in our society where if we don't have one of these, we're, we're severely handicapped in many ways, right? Shoot, I mean, all my medical records and stuff are on this stupid thing, right? Or I have access to them. I pay all my bills, I can do it right from here, right? So how do we figure that out? You guys don't have any answers. Let's go to the second one. <laughs> how do we as parents handle the influences of friends and their families on our family? Anybody got that figured out? We just won't have any friends. <laughs> right? <laughs> we can't have friends. We're going to be hermits. We live in a cave. All the people outside are evil. Right? Oh, you, nobody has a good one for that one. Okay, let's go to the third one. How do we as parents handle the influence of other voices of authority like teachers and coaches and mentors? We never let them play sports or like get lessons in music or anything, right? Go to the fourth question. How do we handle TV, movies, music, and other art forms that influence our children? When we go out to Target and we have to, oh no, Target, we can't go to Target because that's the evil empire, right? Um, what store can we go to today? None. We're just going to grow our food at home and live in a cave, right? What's that? Yeah. Do you understand what I'm getting at here with these four questions? So go down here. This is what I have noticed, even my own heart. There's major categories of how families handle outside influence. And they run along a spectrum from everything on one end, like we totally immerse ourselves in the world. Let's just jump in with both feet. Everybody jump in together. Giant cannonball family. We're going to just be in the world. Right? 
all the way down to, <laughs> we're going to circle the wagons. We are totally circling the wagons, and no one, no one is cracking our circle. Okay, I'm kind of facetious, but do either does either extreme work? What's the danger of immersion? What's that? Oh, you as a parent are going to get deceived, and you're going to follow the lie, and guess what your kids are going to do? They're going to take what you do, and they're going to take it to the extreme, right? So what's the danger of circling the wagons then? Rebellion? What else? Eventually your kids are going to grow up and leave. When does that happen? <laughs> He knows I'm teasing. What's the danger of circling the wagons? You can get a false sense of security thinking you have your family protected from everything, can't you? We talked about it last week. Unless who builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. What did it say? Unless who builds the house? The Lord. Can I suggest to you another method that's probably the hardest method, but it's the best method? It's called shepherding. What's it mean to shepherd? What's it mean to shepherd? You, you, you tend to them, you care for them, you're, you're actively, le you have to be with them though to shepherd, right? <laughs> I like shepherding even as a parent analogy because are you the ultimate chief shepherd? Are you? Even as a parent, you're serving under the chief shepherd, are you not? Shepherding involves it all. Do shepherds have to correct their sheep? Do shepherds have to lead their sheep? Do shepherds have to clean up the mess of their sheep? They do. They do. So think about these four categories now as we go back up. How do you shepherd your children through the digital age? How do you do it? You're going to have to talk to them. It's implied with all of these, isn't it? You're going to have to be communicating with them, right? And it, say that again, Casey, nice and loud. It will look different for each kid under all these categories. Some of your kids can handle being coached or taught by somebody else. Some of your kids can't handle it at all yet, and they're not ready for it. Do you know that to be true? Don't let your desire for fairness and equity skew and, 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 and keep you from thinking your kids are individually made and they need to handle things and some things they can take, some things they can't take. Most of the questions that I get from teen parents are, how do we handle the smartphone? Is, is, that, is that legit, teen parents? Is that a legit thing? How do we handle it? And what I found is that not even moms and dads in a marriage can agree on it. Why is that? Because 
there, there's, there's different ways we can go about doing this to honor the Lord, right? Some parents say, you know what? No social media or social media at a certain age, social media as long as I'm on it with you and I can see it. Some, some parents are like, you're going to have a phone where I can literally get on my phone and I can look at everything you're doing on your phone at any time and I can see it all. Some parents have this rule that the, the phone comes into, you know, in, in, in phone jail at a certain time every day, phone garage, whatever. One caution you. You can't bulletproof a phone. You can't bulletproof a phone. You can't, you can't keep, you can't, for instance, can you, keep, can you keep a phone from ever getting to pornography? Even with all the stuff that you can put on it, can you, can you keep it? No, our kids are so smart, they know how to do it. They know how to get around it. And their friends have phones, and, and, if they're, and, and, and they're just going to go and they're going to look. Okay, as a general rule, if you see a group of junior high boys looking at a phone together, you need to walk over and see what they're looking at. Chances are it's not dude perfect. It's probably Miss Perfect. Oh, my kid would never do that. Our enemy is a roaring lion looking whom he may devour. He is subtle. He's crafty. He knows how to package it. So how do we handle it? How many of you have struggled with how to handle it with your kid? The cell phone thing. Only just two of three of you in here? Are you kidding me? There's a lot of good resources out there. And I would suggest if you think my kid's too young for this, this is the time to be looking at those resources to prepare a strategy. Because when they're teenagers, it's too late. You know, we have kids in Awana. We have Sparkies who go up to second grade. We have Sparkies who carry in cell phones occasionally in here. You know why? Well, mom needs to be able to know that she can get a hold of me at any time. Okay? Can I recommend to you a couple resources so you can do some further study? This is a good book. It's called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. Read this first as a parent because this will cut to your heart. Just listen to the chapter titles of this book. Just listen to the chapter titles. Number one, we're addicted to distraction. Every Sunday when I get up and preach, there's a couple people, none of you in this room, but there are a couple people who are sitting and they're not on their Bible program. You know how I know they're doing it? Because they can go a whole message without looking up. Number two, we ignore our flesh and blood. You ever been in a restaurant and watched mom and dad on their cell phone and the kids sitting there like, what are we doing here? You ever seen that? Yeah. Number three, we crave immediate approval. Ouch. Here's a way to know whether you crave immediate approval or not and you're on social media. Take yourself off of social media for two months and see how often you're tempted to go back into it. Approval is like a drug. 
Chapter 4, we lose our literacy. There was a day and age where you would sit down with something like this and a book this small, and you'd be like, yeah, I can get through that in a week. Some of you are like, maybe a year. You know why? You know why? Because the most we ever read is in small bites on X or little posts on Instagram. That's the most we ever sit down and read. Ask a teacher, Debbie, am I right? Can your kids in fifth grade read like they could 15 years ago? But they know everything that's going on in the world, don't they? We feed on the produced. We become what we like. We get lonely. That's a big one. We get lonely. We get comfortable in secret vices. We lose meaning. We fear missing out. And I could go on. That's one I would recommend. Then there's three that are actually out on the wall in our hallway. A little booklet called When to Get My Kid a Phone. It's a good one. This is another one for you to read as a parent. Obsessed with my phone. And then I love this one. Eye snooping on your kid. Okay. Move down quickly. How do we shepherd our kids through voices of authority that are out there. Anybody have thoughts on that? Some of you are teachers and coaches in this room. How, 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 would, you, how would you counsel parents in this room as to how to shepherd their kids with the other voices that are speaking into their head? Just because they're teaching in a school, can they be trusted? Corey, can they be trusted just because they're teaching in school? How would you shepherd a parent, another parent, you know, little, a parent of a third grader? when it comes to other teachers' voices. And you gotta get involved, don't you? If your kids, if your kids, you know, like we homeschool our kids, I understand that, but if your kids are in school or if they're under a coach, you as a parent, you have a duty to know who is speaking into your kid's head. You need to know them well. You need to talk to them, what? Yeah, and most kids will be like, especially boys, like, I don't know. I don't know. Right? Can, can mentors and outside influences do a wonderful good for our kids? But can they also destroy our kids too? You better make it, it was always my goal that, that if my kids played sports or involved in activities, that whoever was leading that activity, they, they knew me by face and that, and that I made it a point to talk to them. Even when coaches had rules like, don't ever talk to us after a game or anything, I'm, I don't care about that. I'm talking to you. I want you to know that I'm paying attention. Why is that so important? What's that? It's accountability, Right? And it's also a relationship. If your little Johnny comes home and he tells you something troubling and you've never met the coach, do you even have a forum to start addressing something with him or her? No, you don't. Teachers in the room. I know that parents can be a big pain, but a parent that's reasonable, that has dialogue with you, do you welcome that kind of dialogue with, with your kids and their parents? Yeah. But again, that takes time, right? Any other thoughts on that? Let's go down to the third one. 
Oh, I, I skipped one. How do we handle the influences of friends and families in, on our family? Okay, I'm going to ask you a really poignant question here. Don't respond because they might be in the room. <laughs> have you had to have discussions with your kids about, yes, I know that the Scarberries do it that way, but we don't? Have you had to have those conversations? Yeah. You've got to be careful that you don't make it look like, oh, we're better than the Scarberries, even though you are. But <laughs> you've got to make it look like, no. And you've got to explain to your children, this is a choice that we're making as mom and dad. This is the way we're going to function. This is what we're going to do, right? You've got to have those conversations. Because kids are no different than you. They're constantly looking like, they're looking for the, they're looking for the family that's cooler than theirs. They're looking for the parents that are, that are better than theirs, right? Anybody else have some wisdom on that? How do you handle that? How do you handle it when parents have different standards than you do? Well, sometimes you have to have uncomfortable conversations with parent to parent, don't you? For instance, if you don't allow your kids to watch movies without you being there, do you have to explain that to another parent? Can you expect your child to be like, hey, we're not allowed to watch movies unless my mom and dad are here? Can you, your kid's going to do what, for the most part? <laughs> hey, let's watch a lot of movies this weekend, okay? Like, turn them on. Let's go. Where's the popcorn, right? You have to have conversations with parents, don't you? And you have to have grace for other parents that have a standard that might be a little more stringent than yours, don't you? Should we be able to expect that in the body of Christ? We should. We should. Okay, let's go down to the last one. We've got a couple minutes. How do we as parents handle TV, movies, music, and other art forms that influence our children? What's that? Model it? Yeah. How so, Corey? That's a, that's a good, I like it. Flesh it out. So is this why you're listening to a lot of rap, Liam? That's what I thought. No. No, it should. We, we have to model it. I mean, I made it my point to, to make sure that my kids knew that late 70s, 80s music was the best music ever. But there were a lot of songs I had to turn off when I started to listen with a critical ear with my kids in the car. Oh, I forgot that line was in there. Hey, let's go to talk radio. Oh, they can't do that either, you know. Right? We got to model it. That's good. What else do we have to do with that stuff? We should encourage art in our kids, should we not? Maybe, maybe, the, maybe your kids are prolific writers. Should you encourage them to write? Should you encourage them, if they're artists, should you encourage them to be artists? If they're musical, should you encourage the music? Think about it this way. Does our world need more people who are producing good art? Good art? Yeah, it does. 
where, where do those people come from? They come from families just like yours. They come from families just like yours. In, in our world, Satan and, and the forces that are in our world are trying to shape our kids' view of art. There's a definite slant to, to art in the world, right? I'm not talking just about pictures. I'm talking about everything from writing to music to, to videography, all this stuff. There's definitely a slant in this world, right? You know, we can bemoan the fact that Hollywood doesn't produce anything good or that there's nothing good coming out of the music industry and there's nothing good in terms of, you know, writing that's happening today. But until we encourage good art, will there be good art in the world that we live in? No. Like, how do I know if my kid's good in art of any form? Give them a well-rounded life. Expose them to stuff. Like, make your boys go to an art gallery. Just make sure you go into the galleries before they get in there. There may be some stuff on the wall they shouldn't see. <laughs> right? But expose them to it. Expose them to good movies. Are there good movies that are occasionally made? Expose them to what, talk about a movie, with your, even with your kids that are teenagers, what, what, was, what made that movie good? What did you think about the character development? What did you think about, was there any redemptive storyline there? Or what was missing? Don't just say, oh, we're a Marvel family movie, or a Marvel, you know, Marvel Universe family, so we just watch all the Marvel, and we don't talk about stuff that's going on there? Are those gospel opportunities too? They are. They are. The point being, the point being, who's ultimately responsible right now until they're out from under your roof? Who's ultimately responsible for, for putting some shape into your kid's heart? Yeah, point at the dad, every mom. Yeah. Who's ultimately responsible? Are there coaches? Are there teachers? Is it their pastor? Is it who's responsible? Mom and dad are. And here's the thing. Is adulthood coming like a screaming freight train down the road at them? Is it? It is. And we typically think, well, when they start turning 13, 14, then I get serious about preparing them for life. Uh-uh. When they are 3, 4, 5, 6, you better be serious about preparing them for life. Questions or thoughts on that? I threw a lot. Resources. If you want to take a look at them, they're up here. All right. Father, thank you that you have called us to this high and holy calling of being parents. Forgive us for where we make a mess of it, but Lord, I pray that even as we have discussed in previous weeks, that, that you would remind us of the grace that's available to us, Lord. We're, we're not going to get it 100% right 100% of the time. So give us grace and, and give us a renewed sense of importance of shepherding our, killed, our kids' hearts so that one day they would grow to love you with their whole heart, 
Lord, and that that, that would come out in the way that they live, that they would be loving their neighbors as themselves. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.